Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thanks for joining us. It's not every day that a book comes along that literally saves your life, but Dr. Jack Rogers says he's heard that comment more than once about his book, Jesus, the Bible, and Homosexuality, Explode the Myths, Heal the Church. A new expanded and revised version of the book has been released, and we'll check in with Dr. Rogers on what's new in this extraordinary book. Also, back in August, I got married. My partner Wanda and I went to Canada to tie the knot legally, and I'll give you my thoughts on the spiritual experience I had while standing in line at City Hall. I apologize that Godcasts have sort of fallen by the wayside of late. I've been on the road a lot promoting my book, Bulletproof Faith, A Spiritual Survival Guide for Gay and Lesbian Christians. I've had the pleasure of traveling to many incredible places like Ottawa, Canada, Dayton, Ohio, Knoxville, Tennessee, Houston, Texas, Anaheim, California, Palm Springs, California, and Atlanta, Georgia, just to name a few. The reaction to the book has been phenomenal, and I have heard from so many people who have told me that the book has really helped them in their faith journey and given them the tools they need to live authentically in their sexual orientation or gender identity, despite what religious critics might have to say about that. The book was also named one of the best spiritual books of 2008 by the website Spirituality and Practice. If you want to learn more about the book and download a free 25-page study guide for personal or group use, you can go to www.bulletproofbook.com. And I'm always on the lookout for other places to do workshops, readings, and signings. If you're interested in having me come to your church or a local bookstore to speak or sign books, you can drop me an email at editor at whosoever.org. Jack Rogers is Professor of Theology Emeritus at San Francisco Theological Seminary and moderator of the 213th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA. He also served as Vice President of San Francisco Theological Seminary and founded their Southern California campus. Earlier, he was a Professor of Philosophical Theology at Fuller Theological Seminary for 17 years. A few years ago, Rogers put out a groundbreaking book called Jesus, the Bible, and Homosexuality, Explode the Myths, Heal the Church. That caused quite a stir with his scholarship on the text used against LGBT people. Now a new and expanded version of that book has been released. I talked with Dr. Rogers recently and asked him what has been revised and expanded in this new edition. I I had the interesting experience. I was speaking to the um, National Meeting of Presbyterian Church Educators two and a half years ago, and uh, I said, you know, the denomination has provided a study guide to my book, Jesus, the Bible, and Homosexuality, and you can get it free online. How many of you are using it? There were 100 people in the room, professional educators, only two had picked up the study guide. So I told that to the head of editorial at uh, Westminster, John Knox, and he thought about half a second. He said, okay, next time we reprint your book, we'll put the study guide in. And they have, and there's a very extensive study guide in the book now. But then they got to thinking about it, and they said, well, let's just do a whole new revised and expanded version. Why don't you tell us about your travels? Because you've been out on the road for a couple of years talking about this book. What have you learned? Put that in. And then um, tell us how the Presbyterian Church is changing, because you had an old chapter and what was wrong with it. And uh, then anything new you want to add about the biblical material and what they always had wanted me to do and I just couldn't do the first time around was to talk not just about Presbyterians but other denominations as well so there's an appendix which uh, shows progress in the state of progress in about 10 different American denominations so that's all that's new in the book 
and it's uh, got a new cover, and you know, it is genuinely a new book. What did you learn when you went on the road to promote the book? I had uh, good people who were trying to get the word out and helping me do this, so I traveled in the Deep South. I was in the Carolinas and Georgia and Louisiana and Texas. I was in the Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska, and Missouri and Illinois, and um, the same pattern was true everywhere. That is to say, there would be a local committee uh, and a church that wanted to sponsor me, and they would have a luncheon for clergy. And maybe 20 ministers of the, would come from the area, and we'd have a nice chat, and that was it. But the churches were afraid to sponsor me for a public meeting in the evening. Mm. So they would put me at a college, sometimes in a theater, at some neutral venue, and before the event, the pastor or whoever's chair of the committee would take me aside and say, now, Jack, we hope your feelings won't be hurt, but there probably won't be very many people because we just don't talk about this here. And we'd go, and the room would be full. I mean, in Columbia, South Carolina, yeah. those exact words were said to me, and we walked into a, a auditorium in the university. There were 200 people there. Yeah, it was packed that night. They, they were there to hear you. That's right. But I think two things were going on. The the pastors have been uh, intimidated by the public media, which makes it look like everybody religious is against mm -hmm. LGBT people. And they know that if they take a step out, somebody's going to jump all over them. But here I am, a visiting person, and people are eager to hear a positive word different than this very hostile and negative stuff they get from the extremists on the far right. And so people are really eager to listen and learn and think, and yes, and I think most people deep down have the kind of intuition, we ought to treat everybody equally, but they've been told there's an exception for LGBT people, and I say God doesn't make exceptions. God wants us to treat everybody equally. Well, they, that's good news, you know? Yeah. It's so simple, but it was a great, great privilege to be able to say this. and. Before my first book tour started, uh, our pastors at the congregation where my wife and I worship did some fundraising to help distribute the book. And at a meeting in a family's home, why, I heard one of my pastors say, this book will save lives. And I thought, well, that's a, probably a little exaggerated. <laughs> and now I know it's honestly true. I've had so many people talk to me and say, my daughter was a lesbian and thought God hated her and killed himself. My son shot himself because he thought God hated him because the church said God hated him. Mm -hmm. But he survived because he missed his heart. And now he's a elder in a church that accepts gay people and so on. And all of these things. And then the, the good thing, you know, where somebody says, you know, I gave your book to a person that, where I work and the guy said, I've always thought God hated me, but now this book says God loves me. Can I come to your church? Of course, you know. <laughs> I mean, over and over and over again, I've heard, I've had people talk to me who are graduates of the most conservative seminaries in this country, Jerry Falwell's outfit, Pat Robertson's outfit. And they, when I'm signing books, people lean down and talk privately to mm -hmm. me. And they'll tell me what they don't want people generally to know, you know. And then they'll say, but once I came out to my family, this one woman said, my, my mother literally beat me over the head with the Bible. Wow. You know, 
and, and so on and so on. These people are not wild-eyed, bizarre liberals. They're faithful Bible-believing folks. Mm-hmm. But they know, they know that God created them the way they are and that God doesn't mess up, that that, that must be okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible struggle for most people, uh, as I've heard these stories. And yet, it's so wonderful when people are able to say, no, no matter what anybody else says, I know God loves me, and I'm okay, and I'm going to just be live the way I am because that's who I am. What you're talking about is heartbreaking, of course, that the people oh, yeah. keep hearing this, this consistent message from the church that God hates yeah. them or God cannot accept them or they must change to win God's love or acceptance. Um, but many churches are changing their tune, slowly but surely. Yeah. And you, you say that this book explores some of the changes that have happened in the Presbyterian Church since 2006. What sort of progress has been right. made in your denomination? We now have a General Assembly and National Meeting every other year, and our last one in 2008. You know, I've, I've been to 35 of our General Assemblies. <laughs> I'm kind of a General Assembly junkie, you know. And so um, this one had this atmosphere that people were ready for change, mm-hmm. and they were ready to do what they believed God wanted them to do. And so... They made a number of changes of just removing old precedents that had evil language about LGBT people, just got those out of the way. And then uh, they did the final thing of sending out to our presbyteries, our 173 regional bodies, uh, a, a um, new way of looking at things that would have removed any inhibition against uh, LGBT people being ordained officers, elders, and ministers in the church. And um, unfortunately, we know that now has failed, but the margin uh, has been so much narrow. We've tried about three times since that uh, prohibition was put into our Book of Government, and this time we almost made it. And the most remarkable thing was 33 presbyteries, regional bodies, who the last time voted against equality flipped and voted for equality this time. That is a real symbol of movement and change in the church. And these came from North Carolina and Texas and all over the United States, so it wasn't a regional kind of a thing. So that gives us great encouragement. And I think, uh, I'm guessing now that within... Maybe not the next assembly, but at least by the next one, we will be able to make the breakthrough that we need to make. So I'm very encouraged. What are gay and lesbian people, especially the ones who may not have read your book yet or may not have heard of your book or just now hearing about your book, um, what are those people who really are still believing that God hates them and they're feeling this despair, what can they do in the meantime while these churches sort of come around to listening to God? (laughs) Well... You know, they need to know that, uh, and that's what my first edition and the second edition even more so, says it's a gross misinterpretation of the Bible to claim that that God hates people who are sexual minorities. Mm-hmm. And I went, in the first edition, I went through the eight so-called clobber texts that are traditionally used against LGBT people. In this edition, I thought, Let's take a different tack entirely. 
what mm-hmm. in the Bible tells us how we ought to treat people differently, who are different than we are, regardless of what the difference is. And so I start off with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everybody knows that in the Christian church, and everybody likes it. Well, now, wait a minute. Here somebody's asking a fundamental question of Jesus. How can I be saved? And Jesus says, well, what does the law tell you? And the guy says, well, uh, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm-hmm. and, Jesus, and, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it right, you're fine. And the man says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Okay, Jesus tells this story then, the, the hero of which is a Samaritan whom Jews hated, who was an outcast, an alien. And Jesus reaches back into Leviticus that some people love to use against LGBT people. And Jesus says, Leviticus tells us that we should love our neighbor as ourself and we should love the alien as ourselves. Now, I say then at that point, and I say when I'm speaking, that really is all we need to know. Mm-hmm. That's, that should solve the question right there, you know? But, because people keep saying, yeah, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And they want to exclude some people, then we go on. And remarkably, here is Jesus, Matthew 19, verses 10 to 12. I mean... Somebody's been asking him a question about heterosexual marriage and divorce, and he's responded to that, and his disciples are a bit upset by his answer. And so they want to talk to him more. Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, some people are born eunuchs. Others are made eunuchs by others, and others make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. One, that blows the traditional conservative argument that this is a, quote, chosen lifestyle right out of the water. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, some people are born eunuchs sexual minorities. They, do, they are born not able to or willing to conform to the heterosexual norm in society. Now, that's remarkable, mm-hmm. you know, for Jesus in the ancient world saying that. And then at the end there, he says, you know, some people make themselves eunuchs. I've been reading literature that I never read before by gay and lesbian people. And You know, I did that. It happened to me when you begin to read uh, literature written by Mm African-Americans. You see things differently. When I began to read literature written by women, I saw things I hadn't seen before. And a a woman got me to uh, come to the Society of Biblical Literature uh, several years ago and got me on a panel about the queer Bible commentary. Mm. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. (laughs) She bought me a copy and sent it and got me on this panel. And here is a very scholarly work, but all done by LGBT people. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm reading and I'm seeing things that are obviously there in the text and I never saw it before. So that really put me on a new trajectory. And that reinforced in what Jesus is saying. And, of course, Jesus knows the Old Testament well. And so then that leads me to this wonderful story of the uh, uh, Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter Mm 8. I mean, what's remarkable about that is very clear from the text that it's not, first of all, the apostles and so are kind of thrust out of Jerusalem because of persecution, and they're out in the Gentile world. And Samaria comes up again. Philip is out in Samaria. And the text three times says the Spirit of God moves Philip to do something that was way out of his comfort zone, Mm -hmm. to go down to a dangerous road, to 
meet this guy in a chariot who turns out to be a black African Gentile eunuch. Right. Now, Philip wouldn't normally have reached out to people in any of those categories, you know, but the Spirit prodded him to. And so the guy's reading Isaiah 53, and it talks about, and so he invites Philip to come up and explain this to him. He says, who's this about? talks about someone who's been unjustly treated and is cut off from his people. Who's this talking about? Philip says he's talking about Jesus. And the eunuch says, I can identify with that. I understand. That's the kind of guy that I want to be identified with. And he says, what's to keep me from being baptized? And I say to the audiences, notice, there's no discussion of his sexual practices. You don't have any investigation. The guy says, I want to be with Jesus, and Philip baptizes him on the spot. Yep. And Philip That's can't come up with any reason. No reason No, at all. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that is wonderful. And then if you move on through the book of Acts, Peter has the same discovery Paul and Barnabas do. Once they're out in the Gentile world, they find Gentiles, people who are supposed to be unclean by nature, touched by the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. And so in Acts 15, finally, they pull it all together. They have a big confab. And James, the brother of Jesus, says, you know what? That's always been there in the Scriptures, but we didn't see it. Mm -hmm. God always intended the Gentiles to be included so from now on, anybody touched by the Spirit of God, we should accept, no questions asked, no Jewish law is required. That is a revolution. We don't realize how remarkable that is, I don't think. But my, that's the pattern we need to follow. Well, but there are so many people on the more conservative side who, and I've had them say this to me before, I do love you, and it is because I love you that, that I'm telling you that you're wrong and you need to repent of this sin of homosexuality. And until you do, you'll never be right with God. You know, God, God does love you, but God can't accept that. And, and, and this radical notion of, you know, we should accept everyone who, who accepts God, um, well, so, somehow to them means I'm accepting your sin. Yes, what, right. What do you say to, the, to, to those more conservative folks who say, you know, well, that's all nice, but they, they still yeah. have to repent? I was just reading yesterday about a case where a minister had been put on trial by the Methodist Church, as it happens, for doing a same-sex holy union. Mm -hmm. And during the trial, one of the people who was supporting him said, well, you know, this is the same thing. Well, I can accept the fact that, yes, you're gay, but I can't accept your behavior. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, he says, it's, it's the way I feel about Methodists. I don't really have anything against Methodists, as long as they don't practice Methodism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's exactly the story. That is a non-starter. I mean, th if this is the way God has made people, then you don't say, you can't act in the way that God has created you to act. That mm -hmm. just doesn't make any sense. So we just have to keep saying that. And, and the more... Uh, Again, the more people who are out, I never, ever say to an LGBT person that you need to come out or you need to, you know, be more public. That's, that's their decision. I don't walk in their shoes. I don't have a right to say that. Mm -hmm. But it is true that the more people who are out and are known by heterosexual people, the more they say, well, these are nice people. They're just normal people. There's nothing wrong with these people. Yeah. And that's helpful. 
Have you met anyone else along the way? I know that the, the book came about in your own life because you changed your mind somewhere yeah. along the road. Have you have you come across anyone else as, who may have read your book or been influenced by your work who did change their mind? Yes, uh, it's it's you know it's not every day, but uh, I've had people come up to me and say I was absolutely on the other side. I read your book and what you say about the Bible. I've changed my mind. It cha- you know, and and that's happened numbers of times. And also there are other fine scholars who have had their own journey. You know. Uh, David Myers, who's an outstanding social psychologist, you know, his book with Letha Scanzoni, uh, you know, mm-hmm. whom God hath joined, question mark, uh, a Christian case for gay marriage. So I'm finding more and more people in the heterosexual community who have not only changed their minds, but have realized I've got to step out and help in, you know, in, in the area of my own expertise, I need to say something here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I mean, I was retired. I'd had a lot of experiences of my own change of mind and and study and research I'd done that confirmed this. I thought, maybe I've got a responsibility to do this, you know, and so that's what motivated me to do it. You can keep up with Jack Rogers at his blog, Dr. Jack Rogers. That's drjackrogers.com. On Friday, August 27th, my partner Wanda and I arrived in Canada and headed straight for Ottawa City Hall to do something we can't do in our home state of South Carolina, apply for and receive a marriage license. At religiondispatches.org, where I blog on a regular basis, I wrote about the spiritual experience of standing in line at City Hall and finally being allowed to receive government approval for our marriage. Go to the cashier and pay your $150 fee while I prepare your paperwork. The clerk looked completely and utterly bored while he pointed us to the cashier. He was performing a procedure he'd performed hundreds, perhaps thousands of times before. He knew his job by rote, and though he was polite, he was not excited by the process he was taking us through. I, however, was having a spiritual experience standing in the middle of Ottawa City Hall in Canada. On August 27, 2009, my partner Wanda and I walked into this government office to ask for a marriage license. This is an exercise we've done for several years over Valentine's Day week at our own government office here in Columbia. Each year we go and fill out the forms. We dutifully scratch out husband and wife and replace it with spouse one and spouse two. Each year after we're allowed to fill out the forms completely, the clerk behind the desk politely hands them back to us and tells us that we cannot legally get married here in our home state. This experience was different, however, and jarringly so. There were no television cameras following us to catch the ultimate refusal of our right to to marry, as there are in Colombia usually. Instead, there was a board clerk surrounded by other board clerks processing paperwork, not just for me, but for a few heterosexual couples that surrounded us at the counter. It felt eerily familiar to filling out the paperwork at home, except there was nothing to cross out. The form simply said applicant and joint applicant. Afterward, we took the form back to the clerk and braced ourselves. Our nervousness grew as he took his time looking over the paperwork. Then he said those magic words, go to the cashier and pay your $150 fee while I prepare your paperwork. That's it? Really? No drama, no fanfare, no rejection, no judgment? No, none of that. 
just a bored city hall clerk doing his boring job. What he didn't realize, though, was the depth of the moment for us or the amazing gift he had just given us, a marriage license, a true official real backed up by the federal government marriage license. Same-sex marriage has been legal in Canada since July 20th, 2005, after the enactment of the Civil Marriage Act. The road to marriage equality in Canada was similar to the one currently being traveled by the states. Some provinces ruled in favor of allowing it while others resisted. The only true cure for Canada is the only true cure for the states, a federal law equalizing marriage rights for all across the board. The struggle for marriage equality in Canada was also, as it is in the states, a matter of wrangling within the churches. There were Conservative Christians who opposed marriage equality and spoke stridently against enactment of the federal law. They launched campaigns against it just as anti-marriage equality groups have done here. Church denominations have drawn their own positions on the matter and the ongoing struggle was evident at our wedding ceremony the next evening. A retired United Church of Canada minister performed our ceremony at the apartment of two of our friends who hosted us in Ottawa, a gay male couple who had married just a couple of years before. The United Church has taken a very progressive stand on marriage equality quality and voted back in 2000 to advocate for the civil recognition of same-sex partnerships. Their ministers are free to perform same-sex marriage ceremonies. Present at our wedding, however, were six other clergy people who would have dearly loved to do our ceremony, but were prohibited from doing so by their denominations. So while the law has been settled, the churches continue to struggle with their own theologies of acceptance, like so many U.S. denominations. It was truly a bittersweet day. We were able to get legally married in Canada but we knew that as soon as we crossed the border back to our home country, we'd still have to check off that single box on any forum that asked us about our marital status in the states. We're not alone in this conundrum. Six states have enacted marriage equality for gays and lesbians, but the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, also known as DOMA, continues to prevent even those marriages from receiving federal recognition. Even those couples considered married in these states still must declare themselves single on any federal form or when they cross into another state that doesn't recognize their marriage. Canadians have experienced this cognitive dissonance of a patchwork of marriage laws and have come to an equitable conclusion. Wanda and I are dedicated to continuing the fight for similar federal recognition of same-gender marriages in the United States. Friends have asked why we didn't get married in one of the half-dozen states where it is legal instead of leaving the country to do it. My answer to that is twofold. The first one is practical. Oh, I didn't have any speaking engagements planned in any of those states in the near future. I'd been invited to speak at a church in Ottawa that weekend as part of Ottawa's Pride celebration, so Wanda and I decided to take advantage of the law while we were there. But my second reason is deeper. I believe that the United States will be forced to recognize international same-gender marriages before they deign to recognize the those performed within its own borders. The reason will be economic and not religious. In a 2006 paper, University of Colorado law professor Laura Spitz argues that because of the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, it may become impossible for the United States and Canada especially to mix economically without ultimately mixing culturally. She writes, It seems to me that if the legalization of same-sex marriage in Canada is politically and philosophically consistent with the American economic model, and North American economic integration is part of a larger project to make 
make the American economic model global, then Americans have reason to believe same-sex marriage, i.e. the further expansion of the private caretaking sphere, will become important to large economic actors in the United States. In other words, the federal government, which is facing the largest deficit in history, multinational insurance companies, and other corporations awarded government contracts for what were previously understood as public services, will all be interested in expanding the private caretaking sphere in order to save money. One way to do this in a relatively short period of time is to broaden the definition of family. And experience tells us, at least in the United States, that when the insurance industry and large government contractors become interested in change, they bring enormous pressure to bear on politicians and other decision makers. I should note that while Spitz makes a compelling case for accepting same-gender marriage on international economic grounds, she clarified in an email to me that she personally does not, quote, support the same-sex marriage agenda for the LGB movement in the United States, unquote. What Spitz makes clear in her paper is that despite religious opposition to marriage equality within the United States, if the economic livelihood of American businesses is ever threatened because of marriage inequality in the U.S., we can expect corporations to become the newest marriage equality advocates. If that happens, marriage equality will become the law of the land no matter what anti-gay preachers or organizations have to say about it. When the corporate piggy bank is at stake, religious arguments will always fall on deaf corporate ears. When that happens, whether it's sooner or later, I hope that many more of my gay and lesbian brothers and sisters will experience the same thrill that Wanda and I did when a board government clerk, completely unimpressed by the two men or two women standing before him or her at the counter, directs them to pay their fee while he prepares their paperwork. Just one more note about the bliss of marriage. On Sunday, when we took part in the Ottawa Pride Parade, we were walking down the parade prep line to join up with Integrity Canada. That's the Anglican LGBT support group. When we passed by a scantily clad woman in leather marching with the fetish club. After I walked by, Wanda said to me, did you see that? See what? I asked, oblivious. She turned me around and I beheld the mostly bare flesh of a beautiful woman, her private parts just barely hidden under fine straps of leather and lace. Oh no, I miss that, I said, blinking at the sight. Our host for the weekend laughed and said, you are married. I had to laugh with him. Yes, I am married in every sense of the word. Read more of my blogs at religiondispatches.org. we round out our Godcast with a little holy humor. A preacher trained his horse to go when he said, praise the Lord, and to stop when he said, amen. The preacher mounted the horse and said, praise the Lord, and went for a ride. When he went to stop for lunch, he said, amen. He took off again, saying, praise the Lord. The horse started going toward the edge of the cliff. The preacher got excited and said, whoa. Then he remembered and said, amen. So the horse stopped right at the edge. The preacher was so relieved that he looked up to heaven and said, praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us for another Whosoever Magazine Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org. Or you can leave your comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Curley. Other music included samples from John Jackson, Janoon, and Heavy Mellow, all available from magnatune.com. 
If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups you can join for fun and support. You can find Whosoeverans in your area when you join our Rainbow Fish groups. To find out more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It does take money to produce and broadcast this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web where we've been a valuable resource to our community for nearly 15 years now. You can donate by credit card by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate, or you can send checks to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina, 29021. Remember, Whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means all donations are tax deductible. Thanks for listening. May God bless you richly and keep you until we meet again.